Hey all, this is Sean Gerber. Thank you for listening today, but before we get started, I have a couple of questions for you. Are you caught in the daunting maze of CISSP preparation, unable to find your way forward? That's precisely where I found myself when I began studying for the CISSP. Overwhelmed would be an understatement. There are now an ocean of CISSP training programs available, and are you unsure which ones to trust? I remember the struggle, but there was nothing accessible to me outside of the pricey boot camps. And that's precisely why CISSP Cyber Training came into existence, to illuminate your pathway towards acing the CISSP exam. At CISSP Cyber Training, I've forged the CISSP blueprint into a step-by-step guide to navigate you through the intricacies of the CISSP journey designed to provide you the direction and guidance you need to pass the CISSP exam confidently. But don't just take my word for it. Listen to what one of my students, Kevin Fallon, had to say about the CISSP blueprint. This is precisely what I needed in your course, direction. The blueprint is the perfect roadmap to stay on track. I appreciate its clarity and tangible sense of progress it brings. A phenomenal tool for revision. And then there was another from Christopher Wagstaff. Sean Gerber, your guidance was invaluable throughout the CISSP study and certification process. Thank you for breaking the monotony. Once you've wrapped up with the podcast, make your next stop, CISSPCybertraining.com, and let's together turn the tide in your favor, meeting your CISSP goals and catapulting your career in cybersecurity. Now, without further ado, let's get going. Giddy up. Welcome to the Reduce Cyber Risk Podcast, Episode 80. Creating a Secure Development Environment. Welcome to the Reduce Cyberist Podcast, where we provide you the training and tools you need to pass the CISSP exam while enhancing your cybersecurity career. Hi, my name is Sean Gerber, and I'm your host for this action-packed, informative podcast. Join me each week as I provide the information you need to grow your cybersecurity knowledge so that you're better prepared to pass the CISSP exam. All right, let's get going. Hey, good morning, everybody. Hope everybody's doing well this beautiful Monday morning. And uh, it's great here in Kansas as we look into the Springer. Springer. (laughs) Into the spring. It's going to be wonderful. It uh, just now is starting to blossom here in the beautiful state of Kansas. And so life is good starting to get out and about. Uh, if we can just avoid the coronavirus. Yes, that's, that would be something we want to avoid. However, if you are on house arrest at home, having to be stuck there, waiting for this thing to pass, you now have an option for you. You can watch my videos on YouTube and you can listen to my podcasts as well. So you can get all kinds of me if you are basically stuck at home. So, hey, what a better opportunity for you to be working on your CISSP if you are stuck at home. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's not bad. Can't complain with that, right? I just hope I'm not stuck at home. That would really be unfortunate. So, especially being stuck with my children, that would really be unfortunate. They're planning that right now, trying to figure out what they're going to do in the United States with children and sending them home. And so my work's figuring out, well, do we send you home if that happens? And then you got to work from home. And I'm like, at first it sounds really tempting and awesome, but then you feel like, okay, I'm stuck at home with my children for two weeks. Yeah, that doesn't sound so good. That does, yeah, that doesn't sound so good. No. Anyway, that being said, enough about my children and enough about that. Today, we're going to be talking about the five keys to creating a secure development environment. 
And this is going to come specifically from a uh, site out there called Cloud Wedge. You know, like the wedge, like the the wedge, uh, the the cloudwedge.com, and they've got five keys to securing a de- secure five keys for a secure development environment. That's some big words, but bottom line, there's some things you need to consider when you're dealing with a development world, and how should you best secure it? As a security officer, uh, and and also as a software leader for our company, I deal with this on a routine basis, and so it's good for you if you're studying for the CISSP to also be aware of how this works. Also, a little plug, I am putting together for only, only, only my podcast listeners a uh, CISO training course. And this training course is just the initial stages. I've got a few modules done with it, but I'm throwing it out to my podcast listeners so that you go ahead and you can go to SeanGerber.com and you can click on, there's a, there's basically in my training program, there is a um a program. I don't know. I'll have it in the show notes, the link. But basically, you just go specifically to where my training is on SeanGerber.com and click on the podcast or on the uh, CISO training area. And if you click on that, you should get act free access to it. But again, it's only for my podcast listeners. I'm not sending it out through mail or anything else that I have. Just want you guys to come and get it directly for people that have been so loyal and listening to this podcast. And it, it's a work in progress. It's just getting started. There's, there's some content out there. There's probably about four or five, no, about six videos that are, should be out there, uh, here soon, but uh, there'll be some more as well. This is a content I'm going to offer as paid in the future. So now is the time to get a look at it and you will get added to that content as well. Uh, so again, go to SeanGerber.com and look for CISO training. All right. So let's get started. So there's five keys to creating a secure development environment. And to create this environment, that basically you're going to deal with this on a routine basis. I was just in a meeting this week talking to it with a company that does this for a living uh, with Accenture, basically. And one of the concepts that they had was is that you have to deal with, when a security person, a secure development life cycle. And how are you going to deal with a secure development environment? And, and as you deal with some, from a security standpoint, if you think that it's only the developers that are going to have to worry about this, you're wrong. You're going to have to deal with this on a routine basis. Now, software development is increasing and it's no longer in just one specific room of people. Okay. That what it comes down to is, is that these individuals are going to be developing for you in your own company, also around the globe. It does not matter anymore where the developers sit. So you're going to have to understand how to do secure development. Uh, technology makes it easier than ever, and it, but it does pose some challenges. So again, this comes out of the remote aspects of working with development teams. Uh, my development team is in India. Uh, I've been migrating from onshore to, I say offshore, but really to them, it's to their onshore. Um, and so I've learned a lot during this time that you, with collaboration and the tools that we have, it does make it much easier. However, you do as a security person need to be able to train these people on the best practices for a secure development environment. Because guess what? They don't know it. They're not, not that they're, they're foolish or stupid or any of that. No, not at all. These guys are extremely intelligent. The challenge is though, is they're not taught this in school and it's not an impetus to them as they are going through their training. So the first thing that they have, the five keys that, that the wedge brought up, the cloud wedge brought up was that isolate your development environment from production. And now this goes without saying, but you should separate your dev test and production environments. They should not be in the same bucket. They should not even be on the same server. They should be different. Um, ideally, this is a best, this requirement does fall into some regulatory requirements. So like if you're in the financial industry, you have to do this. Now I will say we do this from our own perspective of in my software development world with my uh, 
business hat on because it does it makes it much easier and trying to manage all of this within one environment a lot of bad things can happen right you end up your data gets corrupted well it takes out everything uh, it gets hacked it takes you have issues uh, it, it's just you have multiple people involved in one environment you have a structured path that goes from dev to test to production uh, it's just really important to do it this way now there's a they have a reference to this gentleman out there by scott ambler uh, he's an agile development person and he recommends there's basically five areas there's development sandboxes they talk about so the first one is development. This is working environment for developers and their team. And this is where they do their, their initial playing. And you could say, because I eat a sandbox. Um, this is a dedicated database is allowing for regression testing. And it's specifically focused on the first place where they will start doing their development work. It allows for work in seclusion from the rest of the team. And you don't have other people putting their fingers into areas that uh, are not necessarily needed at that time. Can restrict access to either IP address vpn or other type of communication tool you do want to have it segregated and you do want to have that restricted uh, as well so it's important that you set up that development sandbox now there's a project integration sandbox that they talk about as well and each person on the team should have its own integration environment aka a build environment and this can be a local environment so you could have it locally on your machine or you could have a cloud environment where you do your builds uh, but each person should have their own that way if you do something it doesn't mess up somebody else's environment uh, promotion of change code is published to that so when you promote the code and you then publish it to this environment so from the development world you would then publish your code and you would push it to the project integration area and the goal is to combine and validate work for the entire team that's the place you want to get to is that it's all where the entire team shows up pre-production test and QA now this is where you'll do your testing on this your pre-production testing and your QA folks will start doing this now you may have dedicated QA individuals you may have just your developers doing QA for you but this is where they test the system to make sure that when you click on the link it does what it says it's supposed to do it looks the way it's supposed to look within a mobile environment or a laptop or what any sort of aspect that this is where they would do the pre-production test and QA um, this also is called staging uh, my people they call it staging but it can be called pre-production test and QA then you get it push it to the production environment and this is where the code will be run once it is deployed now you also may have your uh, user acceptance testing would happen potentially in your pre-production and testing QA as well depending upon how your environment is set up uh, you, some people ha don't have the user acceptance testing until it is pushed into production um, it just depends upon the company and how you have it structured now the second thing is he talks about securing your endpoints and this goes without saying if you're a security person you get this uh, you've been getting this for a long time but you want to secure the development computers and endpoints from malicious activity malicious malware and again avoid usbs public wi-fis you're gonna to have to teach them how to do this and you're gonna to to require them you're gonna require to be putting in an aws or citrix environment for them to have a development world they can play in uh, you're sure there's some level of security enabled on each of the endpoints and ensure that development device is dedicated specifically for their development purposes so again those are key things you want to make sure that when you're as a security person getting your development team up and running you want to make sure you provide them a device that is well protected and then also set up the ROE the rules of engagement on where they should and should not use this you want to keep this is level or point three keep this code in a secure environment avoid public code repositories i.e gitlab 
uh, that that's just uh, it's great if you're doing open source work but if you're doing something for the business do not put it in GitLab now unless you have your own internal version of GitLab they, that can happen you could set up your own development uh, laboratory or repository within your company and you could use GitLab for that but do not allow it to share with the outside world utilize private servers again AWS Azure are really good places to do that and that would be a uh, an important aspect to securing your code ensure the data is secured and you own it specifically again when you're choosing shared environments you want to have that defined and delineated very closely do you want it logically separated or do you need it physically separated some some regulations will require you to have it physically separated backups make sure you have backups in place because things get corrupted and things break um, highly recommend you have a backup system in place and ready to go and you need to test your backups and make sure that they're not corrupted and that would be every once in a while you would do a restore from backup but you'd want to set up a server that is not your production server and then do that from on the side so you can have people walk through what would it take to restore from backup also keep records from audit trail standpoint you want to know if in the event that there is a data compromise whether it's a breach whether somebody goofs up uh, whatever it may be that you have an audit trail of all the access that happened on that system if you have regulatory requirements you will be required to have that uh, but if you have a standard website there's no requirement around it uh, it's just good good practice to do uh, four, it was audit all the time you want to make sure that you are consistently and constantly auditing this your code uh, to make sure there's no vulnerabilities that are being pushed into production now this comes down to you may have to set up well you probably will have to set up some way for them to be able to scan their code so that they know that they have uh, good solid quality code as well as the vulnerabilities are not in it uh, you're gonna have to a security person take care of them and set this information up for them uh, test should cover 100% of the source code especially in the scripting languages most definitely the scripting languages those get used a lot for attackers so you want to make sure that that those are the vulnerabilities and those have been addressed sure you're aware of various ways to access the code from remote locations sometimes people will get creative and they will add things so that they can remote in from home so they can do their work from home because they like to they have this one idea they want to fix make sure you control the keys of who gets in and who does not and how do they get in from a remote standpoint uh, good hiring process for all your programmers and designers again background checks are important work with your HR team to do this uh, you, again you should be as a security person working very closely with your HR team I do uh, and if you're gonna be a CISO and you're gonna be dealing with your security officer as a security officer or just end as the director of security for your company you're gonna work very closely with HR Finally, blend security and innovation. Uh, you need to use a risk-based approach to security. So you can make this extremely painful on people and nothing will get done. Or you can be a little bit less stringent and get a lot of innovative ideas take, uh, accomplished. So you're going to have to work through that and find that fine balance. Do not be the draconian security person that just sits there and goes, no, you cannot do this. D don't do that. That's a really bad idea. Uh, influence developers to help you in this process bring them on board help them help them to try to develop a secure environment for you uh, get them to get some education for them on how to do that you might be surprised maybe they'll gravitate towards this secure environment and do make you even way more secure than you could ever do yourself so again build bring people with you be an influencer and then look at security as a tool to help creating an open and free-flowing collaboration it's important that you do that make sure that whatever you create it's available for everybody and that it's people can can go back and forth to what they need to do to provide uh, the best product for you and your company. 
Again, so these are the five steps. This comes from, again, cloudwedge.com, five keys to creating a secure development environment. All right, so let's roll on into my next set of training. Okay, so now we're going to roll into my specific CISSP training 8.2, Identity and Apply Security Controls in Development environments. So this follows in line with what we talked about earlier with developments and secure development environment. We're going to talk about a few little controls. We kind of mentioned those a little bit up there earlier, but let's kind of reaffirm what you need to do is from this to understand this for the CISSP exam. So again, as we talked about what that that product was that they mentioned in the article, all of these things are what you're going to need to learn and know for the CISSP exam. Uh, so lastly, again, a little uh, plug out there for go to, as you're a podcast listener, go to SeanGerber.com and go to my training and you can put in, there'll be a, it'll be free for you. You just got to go ahead and sign up. Give me your email address. Yeah, sorry, I got to have that. Uh, give me your email address. And then from there, you can have access to my CISO training. Again, this is going to be a $150 training that I'm going to provide once it's complete. But for my podcast listeners, I'm giving it to you for free for the time being. Again, this will only, once it's created, I'm going to shut her down. So uh, I highly recommend you go to the site and uh, start, get, get, at least get your name in there so that any changes, you will see them directly. Okay, so security of software environments. That the key thing around this is you want to avoid preventing your developers from doing their work. As we had mentioned earlier, you want to create an environment for them to be able to complete their work and apply technical, you need to apply technical controls where appropriate to allow them to do that work. Now you need to understand what can happen if this environment is compromised. So if you, again, you've got your repository, let's say it's your code repository. And in this code repository, you have all of the development code for your organization. A lot of things can happen in this space. One, you can have, let's just say you have keys in there that a lot of times we see this, that there'll be their keys, your secret keys that are set up for your your cloud environment, Amazon or your Azure environment are actually put in GitLab, Git, your GitLab or in your repository. And so what'll happen is, is hackers, if they get access to it, one, they've got access to your entire source code so they can make changes to your source code. They can create back doors for them to come back in at a later time. They also can make things really painful, delete the entire environment, and then just basically shut you down. They can go ahead and uh, get your keys and they can then get access to your broader environment. If your websites do provide a backdoor into your overall business network, they can get in that way. It's just a really bad idea to, to not secure this environment, especially since it's all internet facing. So again, it's important for you to understand what can happen and you need to be able to articulate this to leaders within your business. Development security considerations, you need to separate the business and development functions. Again, you need to make sure that the email, document management, all of that stuff is separated from your business environment. And the reason is, is because if your email is the same and they target your email, well, could they get access to your business environment as well? So those are considerations to think about. Utilize Active Directory groups or virtual machines. So you should have a directory AD group that is set up specifically for your developers to get access to this environment or use specific virtual machines where only they have user access to this environment. Another option is considered development environment has been compromised. You need to separate your admin and user accounts. Okay, so you want to make sure that you're not using your user accounts are not your admin accounts and vice versa. You want to make sure that they are separate accounts. You need to incorporate multi-factor authentication into this environment. 
a multi-person review also as well when you're doing your code. It's just important to make sure that you everybody is connected with what potentially could happen in the event that this if those accounts are compromised. You need to trust your individuals, but you need to verify. And I, I still turn on logging and monitoring. It's an important thing. People need to understand it's not about them. Well, it kind of is. Uh, from a security point of view, you have twofold. One is to protect your business, and then two is you protect your people. Well, you protect your business by protecting your people. However, you don't know some of these people may have a grudge. You may have a, we call it an axe to grind. They may not be happy. Uh, and so you still have to protect your business from the insider threat. It's important that you trust your individuals, but you log and monitor their activities, one, to protect them, but two, to protect your company from them uh, or their account. I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean them. It could be just their account as well. So again, incorporating logging and monitoring is really a big, big factor. Security actions, reduce the attack surface. Uh, again, if you are dealing with the your development environment, you want to make sure that you reduce that attack surface. You don't want it over time. These developed environments will grow. Uh, new pages are added. New features are added. You want to avoid that. Uh, and if you do, at least head up a time once a year that you go back in and clean that all up. Protect the access credentials and secret keys. I talked about that as it relates to uh the Amazon environment and your GitLab environment or GitHub, you want to make sure that you are set up with the, those keys are in a protected environment and they're not stored in your GitLab environment. Assess the impact of a compromise, apply controls. Uh, you want to make sure that you would do that. You'd walk through what would happen in the event that there is a compromise. How would that affect my company? Keep production and development environments separate and then ensure logging and monitoring. We kind of talked about that already. Configuration management as an aspect of secure coding. Now you want to also impact analysis of the change. Some common tasks around this are you want to request the change which would be done in your sprint cycle. Uh, review the change which may require a formal approval. So you request it, right? And this is the change that occurs within your sprint cycle. It gets put in the backlog. The change will occur. You want to review the change to make sure that there's there's may need more formal approval depending upon your company. And then you approve, uh, reject, or the change. And then this may need a formal process. So for example, say you have uh, a change that has to occur, you may need somebody to actually approve it. Some leader within your organization may have to approve the change that it goes into your development environment. Uh, maybe the business has to approve it. Just It kind of depends. Now, if the business is the one that's providing what they want to have happen, that may give that approval a, a tacitly. They may already say that just by giving this is, hey, well, this is what we want. Uh, you need to test the change in a non-production location, which we talked about in your in the prior part of the podcast, schedule a time to make the change and then document the change as well. Something else to consider around versioning. Uh, you want to consider that there is a version control in place. Now, your software configuration management, when you're dealing with versioning, you want to go like 1 1.0, 1.1, 1.1.1, 1.2.1.3. All of that, you want to follow that level of versioning. Now, yours may be different. You may do something, you may be A, B, C, D, I don't know. But bottom line is you want to and teach them to have some sort of labeling and numbering in their version control. That's, I mean, that's kind of basic stuff I get. But the fact is that you'd be surprised sometimes developers, especially if they're taught by themselves or self-taught developers and they didn't go to some formal uh, development training may not get that. Uh, the YouTube channel they watched may not provide that for them. So it's important that you help give them that guidance. Uh, ineffective versions causing outages or issues. You need to make sure those are correct as well. 
And then documentation around versioning is definitely an art and a skill. Uh, that is, I've, I've got some guys that are very good at documentation uh, when it comes to their, their code. I have others that are not so good. Uh, good documentation is wonderful. If you have it, that's awesome. And you really need to make sure that you have someone that's good at it. Security of a code repository. These act as a central location for developers. Uh, GitHub, Bitbucket, SourceForge, all of those are central locations for your developers. Uh, you need to enable protections and security on these repositories. Single sign-on, multi-factor, etc. And then avoid the use of API keys in code repositories. Yeah, I've seen that. Avoid the API keys at all costs in the code repositories. Uh, security best practices. Avoid remove any sensitive data within the repository. Control access, add or remove these processes. Uh, that's important for you to do in these repositories. Again, uh, don't allow sensitive data to be in them. Add security.md file. And this security.md file will have your disclosure policy, your update policy, security configurations, and then known gaps and possible enhancements. It's important to have that out there for people to look at. Uh, this would be your MD, as in Mike Delta. And then rotate your SSH keys and personal tokens. Always consider the security of the development environment. All right, now that's a lot that I threw at you there, uh, but it's a lot of really good stuff around development, and you need to be concerned about that, especially if you have those people working for you, or you maybe are that person. Again, that was Domain 8. Again, go to SeanGerber.com. Go to my CISO training for only for podcast users. You're going to be able to get that training, and it should be up and operational by this weekend. Um, and go to it if you should have it when this podcast downloads and be ready to go. All right, have a wonderful, wonderful week, and we will catch you on the flip side. See ya. Thanks so much for joining me today on my podcast. Head over to SeanGerber.com and look at all the free content that I have available for you. There is a CISSP mini course, free CISSP exam questions, podcasts, and so much more. It's all available to my email subscribers, so sign up. If you want my personalized CISSP training, purchase my training courses, and I'll be there to help you with your CISSP needs so you can pass the test the first time. Thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you on the flip side. See ya. Thanks so much for listening today, as it was my pleasure to prep you for the CISSP exam. But are you interested in some free CISSP exam questions? Head on over to CISSPquestions.com and sign up to join my email list, and you will gain access to 30 free CISSP questions each and every month. That's a total of 360 questions just for signing up with CISSP Cyber Training. You will also gain access to other free resources, so just head on over to freeCISSPquestions.com or CISSPCybertraining.com and sign up today. All right, have a wonderful day, and we'll catch you on the flip side. See you.